Welcome back to the mailroom where we interview aspiring entertainment industry professionals. I'm Steven. And I'm Tyler. And we're back. We are back. (laughs) Evan Steinberg on the podcast today. Yes, he is a floater for ICM in their booking department. So he helps book live shows, whether it's comedy, whether it's music. And he is the one that's booking the shows. A cool place to be in, wouldn't you say? Yeah. I, You know, I love the mailroom. Let's hear it. Well, so Evan, right? He comes on uh, a little bit ago where he's a floater at ICM in their booking department. Since then, just since our interview a little bit ago, he's gone on to be on a desk, an assistant for the head of the electronic department at UTA. Wow. We we love the mailroom, and that's that's why we love the mailroom. We love the mailroom, and Evan was a great guest. He was. You know, the night before, he went out, and he... Uh, he, he was at a show till 4 a.m. He was at a show till 4 a.m., and he comes right from the show onto our podcast. I don't even know if we talked about it. <laughs> I think we should have talked about it more. We should have, but at least now we're telling him now. Let's see if you could hear it. <laughs> <laughs> Let's get into it, Evan Steinberg. All right, well, Evan, welcome to the mailroom. We're excited to have you here. Welcome on the podcast. Like guys. Evan, <laughs> you're a friend of ours. We went to school with you. I went to high school with them. Yes. We go so far back that we don't even know it. You guys were best friends in high school, right? Practically yeah. inseparable. Practically. <laughs> so inseparable that we didn't say a word to each other. Because yeah. we were so Not even word. We just talked. Telepathically. <laughs> and, you're the, and you're the same age. <laughs> we're not. We actually got a superlative. It was like most likely to interview him on a podcast <laughs> in <about> seven years. <laughs> <laughs> together yeah we got them. yeah if they got it wrong they switched it though right evan it said evan was gonna interview me on the mic yeah it's very random superlative <laughs> like, who thought of this what are you thinking when you come to la and you get a studio apartment in hollywood why would you do that i don't know like i didn't like la is just so hard to like read like i just didn't know it was all these different cities in one city. So I'm like, oh, Hollywood's cool. Like, I'm sure there's a bunch of shows there. It was also during COVID and I got a good deal on a studio. So I was like, I'll take it. And I wanted to be close to Matt, who was in Mid-City at the time. Right. And then we we took him from you. Yeah. And then like five months later, I'm like, <laughs> probably, he could probably hear us under underneath. Yeah, you can. Yeah, right. Matt Smith, who was on the podcast. Shout out, Matt. Shout out, Matt. Um, Great guy. Yeah. How'd he, he do? How'd he do? Yeah, how'd he do? Uh, we'll let the listeners decide that. He loves talking about himself. I bet he killed it. Do you? Do you like talking about yourself? I mean, everyone does a little bit, right? Who doesn't? Who doesn't? We like to riff. Except me. <laughs> I don't like talking about myself. That's why I interview people. That's your interview. Yeah. But Tyler, he did like talking about himself one time. One yeah. time. I, there was one exception, and it was the first episode of the mailroom. He's here to listen. Yeah, you're in the mailroom. Sort of, yeah. Kind of. Yeah. Step, step ahead, I think. You are at ICM. I'm at ICM, yes. And you're floating. Essentially, I'm just um, I'm working in a specific division in the music department and comedy department, which is all lumped into the concerts for, um, for booking. For booking, yeah. So just specifically booking, I, I yeah, just booking. And it's remote. It is remote. Yes. What is that like? Like working at an agency? I feel like coming out here. When you think about an agency, you're like, I'm going to be in this hectic space where everybody looks like they know what they're doing, and it's really intimidating. Is it as intimidating? Like no. Being, no. It's like... <laughs> it's, it's I know. Not it's not intimidating because... It's intimidating, yes, obviously, but it's not like what you think. Like, you go... To, you think of the mailroom. You think, like, oh, I'm going to be in this office for 12 yeah. hours a day. You know, like, no one's going to know my name. Like, it's going to be, like, like, hell on earth. But it's just, like, not like that because it's remote. So it's it's been hard for me to kind of, like, build relationships within the company it's been hard to me to like stand out from the you know the pack a little bit. For sure. Do you, do you do anything to try to meet up with any of the other assistants, or have you guys gotten together? Yeah, I've gotten together a couple of times with my team. Um, you know. And what's your team? My team is it's called Concert Central. I'm sorry, it's called Concert Central. So it's like four of us. We just we take in all the buyer offers for the whole company, and pretty much input input all the offers into contracts. So for for me to know, I feel like Stephen, you. You have a good understanding of this because you work in comedy booking. Yes. Is this a very similar role? Uh, yes. I believe it is the same. You do the same thing that I do, but at ICM. 
Yeah, essentially, but you, you're working for one agent. Yes. Yeah. Because I'm an assistant. So you have a and specific client client roster. Yes, and your goal is to eventually become an assistant. Yeah. At ICM. Yes. And yeah. or yes. Yes, at ICM. <laughs> yes, at ICM. Yeah. So what does that what does that entail? Like you say, you have a team of four people, and you're in charge of like getting like all of the incoming concerts that need to be booked. You're divvying that up between the four of you. Like, is there a process, or do you guys all have specific artists you work with, or like, what is it like? No, it's honestly kind of like a, a free for all. Like one of oh, cool. one girl on my team who started before me, she kind of like oversees the dist- the distribution of all the offers. So she'll get in, you know, 50, 60 buyer offers a day, and then distribute them between the four of us. And it's pretty random. I mean, lately it's been a lot of tours. And that's pretty easy just because, you know, you get one artist, you, it's generally the same, you know, guarantee, same like price that they're getting paid each city, um, same expenses, similar, you know, similar requirements. So you can just book the tour pretty easily, but it's, there's no specific client roster right now. So I'm getting, I can book a show for Bob the Drag Queen and then book a show for, for like L Cool J the next day. And... What are the assistants doing if you're the one that's like turning these offers into contracts? Like, aren't the assistants supposed to be doing that as well? Yes, and they do, but it's just like I think this this team that I'm on was sort of focused for like post COVID, okay? Because they know it's just going to be like swarming in like all these offers once you know venues are back up and running. So the assistants are now like able to divvy that up between us and then work more on like their specific correspondence with venues and buyers and, and doing whatever their agent needs them to do. So this job didn't exist before COVID? It did. It did. But it's like more, uh, what's the word? Hands-on. Definitely more hands-on now, yeah. Cool. And and are you, is this helping you in terms of like giving you the knowledge that you need to where you want to go? Um, it's definitely interesting because I always wanted to work in live music, so it's, it's really cool to see, you know, what, what's behind the curtain, what it takes to book an artist, you know, how, how much is going in and how much is going out, what ticket sales are going to be like. What I was doing before ICM was I was an A&R intern at an independent record label. Mm-hmm. So my goal was to, you know, find them new talent. So I'd just be on Spotify playlists, um, YouTube, TikTok, Instagram, just finding unsigned artists that are young and, you know, represent- representative of what the label is looking for. And, you know, I found a couple of people that they liked and they're currently working with them. But, you know, I wasn't getting paid. <laughs> so then I had to make a little bit of a, a switcheroo. Well, you know, as, as your friend, like, that's what you do. Like, you find artists all the time and you're constantly showing us new music. So yeah, was that, like, starting out in this industry, was that sort of like a, a safety net for you because you felt comfortable doing that and that's something that has been, you know, intrinsic to you? Yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty natural. I mean, it's just something I do anyway. Yeah. Like, Matt would say the same thing, Matt Smith. Um, but it's hard when you're an A&R, like an assistant or an intern, because, you know, everything you find, it has to be cleared by people above you. So it's like, I can show my boss this new artist I found and swear by them and be like, hey, like, you just signed this kid, they're picking up steam, like, blah, blah, blah. And they'd be like, I oh, know, I don't really like it. And I'm like, okay. So being like an A&R assistant is kind of hard because you don't have like the final say. And then it's just a, it's just a, matter of you know taste i get that i think i can relate that a&r internship like if i'm thinking more on the entertainment side because that's where i like to fall more on the film and tv Mm -hmm. i had an internship at atlas entertainment and the whole time i was doing script coverage Mm -hmm. and i find that i mean correct me if i'm wrong but like reading possible books and scripts that could be made into movies or television that they'd want to pick up is very similar to scouting for musicians exactly and so on so and like did you have any success with any music artists that you brought and they were like oh like we love this guy we're taking him on yes really they didn't but he didn't sign to the label so i found it's kind of a crazy story actually so okay i found this girl right her name is jules walcott okay i found her on tiktok she had when i found her about two hundred thousand followers on tiktok she does covers and she writes original songs and she know she does those videos where you know she's singing in her car she just has an incredible voice you know and i was like this girl's voice is like angelic like it's 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 amazing so i we flew her out 
and her and her boyfriend, who's also an artist, shout out Melrose, um, they came to this studio I was at, mm-hmm. big studio in the in the valley. And we were just kicking it, like listening to a lot of her unreleased demos. And then out of nowhere, like the, her boyfriend Blake just shows us this kid. Like he's like, you guys should check this kid out. Like he's like he's so good, and nobody nobody's listening to him. This kid oh so lucid starts playing lucid stuff, and me and the dude I was working with at the time were blown away. We're like, this kid is like incredible, and he's like, yeah, he produces, writes, records everything himself from Jersey. And I'm like, holy shit, like this kid is the truth, and he ends up coming out here, and he signs to the publishing side. So they have a, the label is a publishing partner, partner called Deep Cut Publishing. So he signed to them and he's been out here for a long time now, like producing for artists, writing with artists. And it's like, I kind of found him because he was suggested to me by someone I found. So like, I don't know, but I don't get like any credit for that or anything. Well, there, we give you credit. Yeah, yeah. I'll take yeah. credit from you. Yeah. My, the mailroom gives you credit. My boys, my boys. <laughs> Everybody will know. I just want to go on the record there. <laughs> Anybody listening to this podcast knows now that Evan Steinberg was the one who found Lucid. When, when this, 50 years from now, and everyone's arguing about who was the one who discovered this guy, you heard it here in writing. Yeah. Evan Steinberg. Heard it here first on the mailroom, everybody. <laughs> so, has there ever been a time where you felt like extremely confident in an artist? You pitched them, and somebody completely disregarded them, and they ended up becoming successful. Is that something that's happened? Yes. Does happen? I mean, I wasn't doing it long enough to see you know that all come to fruition so like i was really anoring for three to four months four to five months for the label so it wasn't really enough time to see anyone like blow up but yeah there's been times where like and i still i'm in contact with all these artists i find these artists i reach out to them dm email any any way to reach out to them and, and say like hey send over some demos let's schedule a call so the artists will send over demos i'll like spend all day just listening to these demos i'll talk to the artists we'll facetime like get a vibe going and then I would pitch them to the label and yeah there's been times where and you were doing this all unpaid for this label yeah <laughs> that you're like doing the work of a, a sounds like a 40 year old manager <laughs> scout yeah <laughs> <laughs> I know I mean it was ideally I would like to do it in a genre I'm more comfortable with because they're looking for like radio pop and that's not really my my lane as you guys know yes so i would love to work for like an electronic music label and anr or manage artists that way so electronic music let's talk about it where does that come from and like where does that stem from i I need to know i don't even know i guess i just got really into it early high school when like calvin harris was starting to pop off and avici and all that and i don't know it just was different and not that many people were into it except me and my small group of friends and it was just like once you go to that first live show, you're like, oh wait, yeah. <laughs> this is different than everything else. Mm-hmm. And then it just evolved like from there. I mean, it's been like eight, nine years. Do you remember your first show that you went to that you kind of said, "This is what I want to do"? But I mean, I guess you were still on the fence about it. But did you ever have that experience where like this is what I need to do? Yeah, I mean, I can't remember the first one. But I don't know. It might have been like Sebastian Grosso in high school. No way. And uh, like Alessa or something. And I mean, is there ever any dream one day to be up there on that stage? People coming to see Evan Steinberg as a headliner? Maybe you just like small on the list of a festival. Maybe at the bottom of a festival list. I mean, but it's still on there. The dream's still there, but the, the, uh, the skill in Ableton is not. <laughs> no no i mean i can we can talk about that a little bit so you guys know i was djing back in philadelphia mm-hmm. and like really when i got really into like um the house and tech house scene i would open up for a lot of artists throughout throughout philly um and yeah it was just like something i would do for fun um i didn't take it too seriously i just like bringing my friends out and djing for my friends like i still do that we still do that like mm-hmm. i'll dj for a room of four people i don't care but i mean it's just DJing and producing, it's just like two different worlds. And it's just like I tried my hand at producing. I don't think I'm, I don't think I have like the uh, the patience for it, to be honest. To do the tedious work of. Yeah, like really learning it. It's, yeah. It's just like I can't sit still for that long. <laughs> <laughs> but let's talk about it because I feel like th- that feeling you get 
when you're DJing for a crowd of people and everybody gets down to the song that you're playing. We've talked about that so many times. Mm-hmm. That's keeping you in this industry. That is like part of the reason that you're doing this all in the first place. So how does that help inform your process when you're looking for artists? Do you look for that in them? What, what's it like? Uh, yeah, I do. I, I A lot of the artists that I find, I'll just stumble upon at a live show. Like I'll go early because I don't know these people opening up or I'll go to a festival and I'll just like go a little early just because I want to check out these random artists that I never heard of. And that's where you see how an artist, if they're worth it, you know, if they can perform live and even for DJs, like if they, if they read the room and they know how to like play an opening set properly, that, you know, that says a lot. So, you know, is it binary? Is it like, yes or no? You can, you can pretty much tell off the bat. No, I mean, people have bad sets, people have bad days. Yeah. You know, and where does that come from? You being able to realize this just over time, listening to music and seeing live sets. And- yeah, I've just been to so many shows. It's really just about the energy and the crowd. Like, if, if you can get the crowd into it, like, the, those little moments. It's about those little moments. And it's kind of corny, but, like, in an hour-long set, like, you, even if you have those little moments that you just get everybody together, like, on the same page, that's that's a skill. And, you know, I look, I look for that, definitely. So I have a question. So doing stand-up now, because I assist a, a comedy booking agent, and when I, I, I'm like a person that I, I like to kind of figure out the whole system. Like, I, I feel like in order to have a good comedy stand-up act, you need to, there's a set of rules. And if you follow those rules the best, I believe that you will have the best set. Like, for me, I believe that if you're able to tell a story and land on a joke every step of the way, it's so much more engaging than people just like getting up there and commenting on the world. Definitely. That's, uh, that's what I'm starting to figure out about standup. So when you watch uh, an EDM show or just like any artist up there, is there anything that you notice that has them have uh, be a better artist that like to put on the best show that they do? Is there any set of rules that an artist can follow that would make them better uh, have a better performance it's a good question um yeah for sure i mean it depends you know like when, as artists get bigger like we just saw kate Trinata, right mm-hmm. he started off as a dj and you know as he gets bigger he does like these live sets where he brings in a lot of different instrumentation live drums you know he has ableton live and that's when like you can really separate separate yourself as an electronic artist if you're not just DJing on the CDJs and you can bring in all these different, you know, aspects and all this different hardware and make like a, a curated show, like that is what separates. That's why you'll see on a lineup, it'll, it'll be like, I don't know, uh, disclosure, parentheses, DJ set or disclosure, parentheses, live. They put so much more energy into those live sets because that's their, that's their time to like show the world what they can do. Mm-hmm. Like, you know what I mean? So what I look for when I like I'm drawn to is just like someone who's putting in that effort to separate themselves a little bit. Hmm. Okay. So it's just something different. Yeah. You know, like I, you know, house music people, if you don't like house music, you're like, this all sounds the fucking same. Like, you know what right. I mean? So like to me who like listens to house music all day. So like I can tell, you know, who's really putting in the effort, who, who's finding those little songs, those little moments, who's put, who's making like a tiny little remix in a set. Like those things get me really excited. Like I went to, a techno show five hour set from these like, veterans in, in Berlin and they do this shit like all, all weekend they do 72 hour sets sometimes 72 and, hour sets? yeah well not sets but like 72 hours like the club will be open for 72 hours and they'll, they'll play for 12 to 12 to 15 hours <laughs> oh my it's, it's a whole other life so. <laughs> but like so oh even a five hour set seems like a long set right. right so we saw them when they got on they played from 1am to 6am and you know like if you didn't know, like, how, um, what's the word? How, like, meticulous they are in the process, you'd be like, in the first hour, you'd be like, this sucks. Be like, no, they're just starting. Like, you need to understand, like, there's a progression in the set. And by hour three, three and four, they were dropping bombs. And, like, it's like, it's, it's all about the progression. You got to ease people in to, like, the big moments. You can't just, like, go right off the bat, you know? And, and what does it take? Do you think these people in the audiences know this? Do you, do, does everybody at this show know that they're just warming up an hour one of five? Um, if you know, you know. You know what I mean? Like, if you know, you know. Right. 
I feel I, it's a it's a niche environment, so it, it has to be yeah. a, a sort of a, a mutual understanding between everybody there. Definitely. But what what wills make everybody extremely happy that they went to one show over another one? Mm-hmm. It, the music is a big part of it, but it's also the people you meet. Um, like I've I've just been making like so many friends. Like a lot of my closest friends I just met at festivals, and you know back in the day um, when I was like a big bass necker fan <laughs> we'd follow him all around the country and like I met some of my best friends just like in hotel rooms there and like we'd be like hey like come to this show with us next week and I still talk to them to this day so, so it's just like those, those moments where you meet people and you can like actually have like a, a bonding experience with somebody over the music that you both love that you know that like not that many people know yeah like it, it it's a good feeling and are there people that you're working with that aren't going to two three shows a week um yeah Definitely, but I mean, I, I don't think anyone I'm working with, from my knowledge, is in my scene. Like, but you know, they go, we go to shows for work. You know, like, Stephen, you go to comedy shows. Like, sure. So they'll they'll invite us to you know a bunch of shows a week that we can we can go to, which is great. If you if your middle school self told you that you'd be going to shows and be invited <laughs> by work, would you be happy with where you are right now? Yes. That's, That's really honestly cool. the only perk I really, really want in this career. Yeah. I mean, I think it's so important. Take advantage of where you are right now. It's a perk that is only lasts so long, I think. It's great advice. I mean, it's, it's true. Because, yeah. you know, once you're really in it, you are not. You don't have time for Mm-mm. for the fun and games. No, you do not. And it's, it's important to take advantage of it. At what point yeah. does that stop, though? I don't know. I mean, like... Once you're on a desk for a couple of years and you're like really in rhythm with your agent, you're working like 10 hours a day. Like you don't have time to go out at night. Like you don't want to even like you're at the, like Steven, you're, you've been working late, you know? Yeah, it's tough. It is. I, but like that work-life balance, just figuring it out, it's never going to go away. Right. It's exactly, always yeah. like it's always gonna figure out like how do I do this? How do I start a family and keep going to these shows and representing more people and my career. Like I know. Dude, you're you work life balance. I mean we're 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 in our twenties. What, what are we talking yeah. about? Yeah. <laughs> on weekdays I'm in bed by eight, eight to nine, watch a little T V, read a little read a little book. And, and then go to sleep. and then you stay up till four AM on a Saturday. Yeah, on weekend, I don't <laughs> I don't see when we get. <laughs> it's a trade-off. It's a balance. I figured I, out. I figured yeah. out my balance. You figured out your balance. <laughs> it took a long time. At one point, I did not have a good balance. <laughs> what point did you? At what point last night did you go to bed? Uh, well, I got home probably four twenty, four fifteen. Took a little shower and <laughs> took a shower at four fifteen. You were like, ah. Oh. Dude, but I get. I'm so tired. But I'll take dude, a, a shower like, real quick. At these fucking shows, especially those warehouse shows, I'm drenched. <laughs> You're drenched in sweat. Coming up at four fifteen in the morning, and I just want to say thank you for coming on the podcast today. Yeah, and really just like you were about it, and you really wanted to come on, and and you you still did your thing last night, and so we appreciate you coming on. And of course, with us. I have a question about Los Angeles in general. Um, why? I mean, like, there's music all across the country. Like, what is it about L.A. that makes the music scene so much, like, more interesting? Is it the whole agency? Like, uh, a lot of the record labels are here. Like, what is is that really what makes it, like, a hub, in a sense, and why? What drew you here? Yeah, I mean, you know, it's the same It's the same thing for TV and film. Like, if you're working in the entertainment industry and you're working with a lot of money in a big... You know, in a big market, you want to come and live in LA. Like, you know what I mean? Like, like why would I live anywhere else? So <laughs> that's why all the record labels, all the production studios, TV studios, they're all out here. And there's really only two cities in the in our country that are like meccas for entertainment. And it's LA, Kansas City. city. <laughs> <laughs> it's Milwaukee. Yeah, Milwaukee. <laughs> <laughs> it's really, just it really is just New York and and. LA and Nashville, but like I don't fuck with that country stuff. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sorry, part of my language, part it, of my French. It's okay. Um, um, Nashville, Nashville has does ICM have a Nashville? Office? Yeah, yeah. No, yeah. they have a they have a big. I mean, Nashville is like the music capital of the world, mm-hmm. but not, not my music capital. Is there is there a point where you're going to be going into the office? Do you think? Uh, I don't know. So I mean, we were just acquired by CAA. Mm-hmm. Yes, you were. 
Um, so there's a lot of unknown uh, right now. So. Does that stress you out? Yeah. It stresses me out. I've worked so hard to get this job. Like, I don't want to <laughs> just get, like, cut off from because of a giant Hollywood merger. You know what I mean? So what do you mean by that, too, that you uh, you work so hard to get this job? What does that entail? I mean, I, I didn't really see um, working in music as, like, a reality back in high school and college. Like, it, I don't know. There wasn't anybody I knew who was trying it or doing it. There wasn't many um, opportunities to get yourself into that industry. Mm-hmm. So I was like, you know, I'm... I'm a Jewish kid from the suburbs outside Philadelphia, I'm going to be a business major. Represent. And, yeah, represent. <laughs> so, you know, I did the whole business school, like, grinded for, like, some industry that I hated. I was in risk management, and I was miserable at an insurance company. But I was always doing a little bit of music stuff on the side. You know, I was working with Matt. I got, we had a blog back in college, and, you know, I was DJing. And, Matt talked about his blog on the podcast. <laughs> but, you know, I... I decided to try and get into the industry. So I found like um, an online grad program through Berkeley College of Music um, for a mu- music business master. So I did that online while I was, you know, kind of transitioning. And it, it was, it helped me realize that like, it's not, it's not impossible to make this change, even though it's a drastic change. Mm-hmm. So I, I kind of just like went for it. I moved to LA on a whim, um, built a little bit of network out here. And eventually, you know, one thing led to another. And, and after like a year of trying, I landed my first real agency job. <laughs> it's very cool. Was, and- it, was there a point in time where you were working at this risk management company and had an aha moment? Like, this is not for me. I need to do music. Or did it just gradually happen over time? It was gradual. But I do feel like at one point it, it kind of just hit me like a ton of bricks. Like I was like, I can't even like pretend to do this anymore like I don't know how people do this my mom was always like oh honey like everyone has a work-life balance and like I don't like believe in that like if you hate your job you're not gonna like be able to translate good energy into like your life you know what I mean Mm -hmm. I mean you seem like a person that kind of follow the mantra of you don't want to ever work a day in your life yeah I mean but like by meaning that it's like because your your work is your life in yeah yeah sense. in extent I, I, I want that to kind of be my life like i you know if if i do end up being an agent like that there's a lot of like um meshing those two worlds your, your work is your life and i'm cool with that but like you know I, I couldn't ever work a job that i hated and you guys got it too you guys did it from the jump yeah i don't want to work a job that i hate yeah it's miserable i think i think though it, there's something to be said about working a job you hate and getting that experience and and being miserable because you can't have a high without a low and Mm -hmm. for me i've definitely had experiences like that where i'm just i'm sitting there and i'm like you know i don't know how these people are doing what they're doing they're conforming and, and for whatever reason they're okay with it and i think it takes it takes somebody who truly has passion for what they do to make that decision and i think it's great that you've been able to recognize that and actually act on it so now with where you are, how long do you see yourself being in this position? The specific position? Yeah, yeah, specific. Like, not just at ICM. I, I want to know how long do you see yourself like being in this floater position? I mean, I did just interview. I don't know what's going on. I mean, if you're basically, I, I think I can help here you as a floater desks will pop up yes uh, yeah. at the company and you have the opportunity to interview for these yes. with so these agents we've been starting to get recommended for desks and people are, in my team <clears throat> are slowly filling desks so i don't think very long um not the wood <laughs> but yeah i don't think it'll be very long. so you don't want you don't want to be doing what you're doing right now for too much longer you want to be an assistant i do i do because like it's it's just um it's too random right now like it's just i i I would like to focus on a specific roster i would like to focus on working with a specific person understanding that person because like could you imagine you know how agents are steven with their contract verbiage like they want specific language they want specific things written so imagine from my perspective drafting these contracts for 30 agents you know it's just like it doesn't. It's not universal language. Everyone has their own way that they want things written out for their for their client. And you know, you're drafting a contract for a big amount of money for a big artist. You don't want to mess that up. So, 
working for one agent and just being able to like hone in and on what their specific needs are like that's definitely something i'm gonna prefer to do do you feel in this situation that you're in right now you're doing more just secretary work like the necessary things that you have to do to get this offer letter into contract form and not necessarily really like fully having that grasp on everything that's going on behind the scenes well i think it is a good program for transitioning to a desk okay um you're learning a lot about like buyer offers and that's like every aspect of what agency is technically so it's a lot of that and we we did we're doing tick accounts and stuff like that so you're doing like slowly learning these little things but like mainly i'm just doing one thing so it's it's good practice of understanding you know what goes into a, to an offer and booking a tour but i feel like there's a lot more i could be learning yeah i mean at the end of the day i know the boat i'm in is just i want exposure yeah. i want to absorb as much as i can and i can see how it's a little difficult to do that if you're not like riding the coattails behind a singular person mm-hmm. and like literally watching from a bird's eye view and a direct view as to what is going on in their daily life. Exactly. And I'm, I'm remote still, so it's right. even harder. That's even harder. Because Steven, I remember when you, you know, were working at Universal, mm-hmm. you were, were interning you were getting these informational lunches with all these people at the company and like you had that time to really like learn from a bunch of different people. So like, can you do that, Evan? Like, is there, is there any opportunity to like reach out to these agents or do you think it's, yeah, there is. I mean, yeah. you know, there's always that opportunity and yeah. people, people are, you know, generally good at heart. I, I believe that. And they want to help you. Um, Cause everybody was in the same position at some point mm-hmm. and, you know, I look at my story, my story, like, it's like a big thing. <laughs> like, hey, it is it, a big thing. Don't understand. Yeah. There are so many kids, like, you know, back on the East Coast that would love to get into the, the industry and mm-hmm. the entertainment industry in general in any aspect. And it seems really difficult. And, you know, there's obviously programs in place. Like, you guys went through the Temple program, and it was, it was a great exposure for you guys. But sometimes you kind of just have to, like, find it on your own. And that's what I did. So, like, if anyone's listening and, and, and feels like there's no hope, there's hope. Yeah, we always, I mean, we talk about on the podcast so many times about just this industry is a lot of just being thrown into the fire and being, like, forced to figure it out. And mm-hmm. I feel like, is there too much monotony in your job right now where you're just doing the same thing over and over again? Or do you feel like every day you're going in and being challenged? And, and No. I, mean, I wouldn't say I'm being challenged. I, I'm being challenged, like, incrementally like in very small doses. So you and feel like you're ready to get that assistant job. Exactly. I, I am ready. Um, I definitely am ready. I, I was referred to ICM for a desk position. And then they, like I was interviewing for the desk and then they, the recruiter realized I accidentally filled it already. So they kind of just like, were like, hey, we do have this other position open if you want it. So not that I'm like better than what I'm doing. Like I'm not trying to like, mm-hmm. Actually, I'm on some sort of pedestal, but like but I, I feel like I've been ready. Yeah, you're ready. Yeah, been I, ready. I'll tell you advice I received once: don't rush to a desk. Mm-hmm. That's what I heard. Um, but I guess advice. I was in a different position because I was, I, kind of, was also interviewed for the desk. However, they didn't fill it by that time. <laughs> <laughs> so a, the they, normal process, they, right, <laughs> the, the normal, normal interview process. Right, it was a normal interview process. And I did end up getting the job. But, um, I I heard it's just like I I do genuinely wish like I was I was very anxious for the first like month or so of having this job because I had no idea what I was doing mm-hmm. and so like, it's very lucky like any step that any chance that you can get like, the pay the pay's no better it's the same hours same job yeah and like all that it is it's like a little bit better of a pedestal to get you to the next place but like at the end of the day you're just going to be a better assistant the longer you wait to that's get true. on the desk and like just the better of a what's the what's the word i'm looking for impression i guess that you'll make on your agent mm-hmm. and he'll want to help you more like the more that he's like oh like you're you're a good assistant yeah, yeah. no that's good advice and i'm definitely not rushing and i don't want to like sell myself short either like 
Mm-hmm. I, like I could work on a comedy desk if I probably if I wanted to a comedy desk open like literary desks open like if I really wanted to. Right. But I look at my, like my you know, like my journey here like I only wanted to work in music. I'm not gonna like settle for anything. Like you know like I think that's very smart. You don't want to know what I want to do, and I'm not gonna you know, work in something that's a little bit similar but not music. So it's very smart. I. I received that advice a while ago as well when I was at Universal because I've talked about this before, but it was a marketing internship. I want to do more producing and storytelling stuff. So I actually received advice from my supervisor who also went to Temple. And he said, it's like, look, like if this marketing thing isn't for you, you do not want to do it. Like, do not pigeonhole yourself. Like, yes, it is possible to make the jump from marketing to producing but it's like a completely it's a it's a lane change and Mm -hmm. like there's no reason to go down a path and then have to like literally start over again exactly internships are so Tyler I'm sure you can chime in on it yeah yeah this is all this is all ringing really (laughs) true right now (laughs) but with that being said I feel like we talk about being in our 20s and we're all ambitious and we all have these goals to you Mm -hmm. know do what we love to do if you're not enjoying the job you're doing so much so that it it irks you to wake up every day and do it, I think that's when you know, okay, this is not for me. Mm-hmm. But kind of contrary to what you were saying, Stephen, like there are like for me working in production now, I've realized like I don't want to do it. Mm-hmm. But it has helped get my foot in the door, and I've learned so much and been in the space. I think with marketing and producing, maybe it's a little bit different. Yeah, but like yeah. also at the end of the day, like I'm not gonna say you did anything wrong. Right. Maybe if you became like a production coordinator and like rose up the ranks of being a PA, and then right. one day said, "All right, now I want to be in a writer's room." Mm-hmm. Like then it could be like, "All right, what are you doing? Yeah. Wasting your time for three years doing this?" Yeah. Like at the end of the day, you were on the ground level meeting people. Exactly what you wanted to get out of the right. job. No, that's true. Yeah, that's true. and think about like what it, what they require now for an entry level job. You know, like mm-hmm. you were saying, you were a marketing intern. An, an entry level job in production, like they'll be like, "Hey, we still need two to three years of production experience." So, and an internship is so important in that sense. So, you, so whoever gave you that advice, you know, gave you good advice. You don't want to be spending that specific time in your life when this is your experience for an entry level position. You don't want to be doing it something that you don't want to do yeah in the long mm-hmm. run. but i do agree with you tyler that it's it is, is important to try new things like i said earlier like i there's obviously different things i want to try but i still don't want to stray too far away from my goal definitely definitely so, so i have a question too uh going back to work-life balance a little bit um i feel like i've had to learn to had to learn to compartmentalize work and like as much as i would love to make like Oh, movies and television are my life. I work in movies and TV. I come home and I watch movies and TV. And then I read whatever mm. is interesting to me. It's a lot. Yeah. And how do you feel then, like, surrounding yourself with music at all times? Is it, like, does it all, I guess, you want it all to feel like life. But is there a time where it all, like, starts to feel like work and then like kind of ruins it for you does that happen when you're listening at a festival at a set or it's like a live for show a little bit yeah, yeah. There's times where like i'm and lately especially because i'm booking a lot of shows i'm like thinking like oh wow mm-hmm. like i want like, you're clearly using first class sound and lights here like, <laughs> stuff like that but like everyone needs their outlet right to get away from work and even though my i work in music my outlet is still music because i'm i just let loose i I'm a dancer. I dance like crazy. Like I just hit the dance floor and just kind of like lose lose myself for a little bit. And that's exactly how I you know cope with everything. So it's it's like yeah, like maybe when I enter the venue, I'll have like some work thoughts or I'll meet somebody who works in music and we'll talk about it. But like at least for like an hour or two, a, a show, I kind of just like close my eyes and just do my own thing. Yeah, and that's why you got into it in the first place. Yeah, exactly. And that's why I love it. Like I'm not gonna lose. I don't want to lose like. That, and, and there's nothing ever. else that you have or you need like any sort of other outlet like for instance I, I love pickleball yeah I love going to the gym I go to the gym every day um pickleball's cool <laughs> pickleball's sweet yeah we should play 
Yeah, I love pickleball. Let's play pickleball. Pickleball is the greatest. If you don't know what pickleball is yet, get yourself yeah. some pickleball. Yeah, what do you even do? Turn this, turn, if you don't know what pickleball is, turn this podcast off right now. <laughs> you don't go know pickleball, you don't live in LA. Yeah, I completely agree. If There's you don't probably know pickleball a pickleball is, court somewhere near you, baby. Never listen again. <laughs> <laughs> this episode is brought to you by Pickleball. <laughs> <laughs> No, but, you know, I love, you know, working out, um, hanging with my friends, mm-hmm. DJing, even though I guess it's still music. Yeah, let's talk about that a little DJ. bit. DJ. Let's talk about that a little bit. So we have a little setup, you know, yeah. and we, we go on rotation and, you know, we're DJing at any social events we're having. At, at any point, has the thought crossed your mind, like, maybe this is something that I could do as a side hustle? Or like I could make some money on the weekends doing. Or are you making? Have you ever made money out here in LA DJ? No, not in LA. Well, because I moved during COVID and like yeah, yeah, I couldn't right. really like market myself. Where's um, the When's the last time you made money DJing? Damn, that's a good question. Um, but it happened. You did make money. DJing. Oh, a lot. Yeah, I did. Oh, right. I played like 20, 30 shows in you, Philly. Um, you're like a Philly famous. Yeah, I was DJ. like a Philly. <laughs> yeah, I was. Just, I was just like on steady rotation in Philadelphia for like support. But my last show that I made money, um, February, right before COVID hit. Wow. Yeah. Where uh, in Philly? In Philadelphia. Yep. I just what? played a where for the Barbary. Hmm. Um. And like the uh, a couple months before that I opened up for um, this dance music artist named Mala and that was like the best time of my entire life (laughs) so he was on tour he's pretty big so it's a sold out warehouse show and he's late from uh, his flight so and I'm the only opener so the the promoter comes up to me I was like yeah Mala's like he won't be here for like two more hours and I'm already I already been playing for an hour and a half so he's like do you have enough music for three and a half hours? And I'm like, yeah, I do actually. So I played for close to four hours and the place was like, the roof almost went off the freaking building. It was yeah, sick. Nobody it? cared that Mala wasn't there. I like curated the best possible set. They were fucking screaming my name. <laughs> and yeah, that was that was a great moment for me. They, they paid me extra. Um, it was a good moment. And then COVID hit and everything got awful. Any, <laughs> any like aspirations to do that? here soon um yeah i mean it's not like even though it was like such a great feeling it's not something i'm like i don't know like it's very competitive out here where where would you start do you know no like there's this place i go to i'm not gonna name drop um (laughs) on the weekends (laughs) that i'm like starting to affiliate a lot with the people there and you know they do like these open decks which is like an open mic for djs sure so that's a good opportunity i was thinking about doing that last weekend might do it in the future, you should, and but it's not paid. It's just no, no, no. to get, just and like, then maybe someone would come up to you and be like, "Exactly, hey, yeah. you were pretty good. I have a bar over in Hollywood." Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> I, I, sometimes I have these thoughts. I'll be like at a concert, <laughs> and like the DJ's uh, like flash drive will be broken, or like, or like the DJ won't be able to make it, and they'll be like, "Does anybody in the crowd know how to DJ and have a flash drive?" And I'm like, "I do." <laughs> the spotlight goes to you. Yeah. Like so the crowd, the crowd lifts me up and so <laughs> slowly. In case, in case this ever happens, I guess this comes from your uh, risk it, it risk background. Right? Yeah. You'll, you'll bring a flash drive. Do you actually bring a flash drive to the show? Yeah, but, you I mean, have at one point do. it was just all my keychain. He had he. For the record, Evan has a necklace with. A flash <laughs> I do not. But <laughs> well, that's a great idea. Go <laughs> that's too funny. Christmas is coming up. <laughs> I love that. Yeah, but, like, you know, um, out here it's just really competitive. You know, everybody's trying to, like, people are trying to do this professionally, and I'm not trying to do it professionally, so it's hard to compete. Yeah. But I haven't tried. But, yeah, but all, I don't you know. Should. Also, never never a reason not to I know, make right. money doing let's, what you let's like. Get exactly. you, let's get you some DJs time. Yeah. Okay. I want that. Okay. I want that, too. <laughs> <laughs> um, I have a question about going to school. Do you think it was worth it? Going to Temple? No. Going to um, a the online grad program. Yes. Um, Did it? Help? No. It wasn't worth it. It was a cool experience, but I felt like I was just stalling. I, I didn't. It, it really is. You know, it's it's a broken record, but it really is about who you know in this industry. Mm-hmm. It is. And obviously, I was able to like meet you know professors who were like very you know established in the industry or former execs of labels and agencies, and I met a lot of cool people through the program, but. 
it was never like there was never like any opportunity to like network like there was no like networking events like there was no like job fairs like that shit doesn't really happen for music industry or entertainment industry really it shows Cause, yeah exactly well did Everybody, you did you at least learn anything i learned a lot yeah and and, and you know i, what, I got what, the opportunity to like what were test the, myself and write it i wrote a thesis okay. about electronic music and that was a great experience i i read a lot of interesting books and dove deep into the you know history of like the rave culture and it was cool and it, it's cool. published on berkeley website you all can read it <laughs> if you want I, i'll read it you can read it well, let's read it on the podcast <laughs> real quick <laughs> 60 pages how, how long is it it's like 50 to 60 pages that's impressive yeah it was cool but no I honestly and this is no shade on, on the program it was a great program um, but like I felt like I could have just come out here and started meeting people like organically um, it didn't get me a job I'll say that much um, so are you worried at all is there, are there, are you an anxious person just like from this job of like being in the state of, I guess, the unknown? Is it worrying you from time to time? Um, yeah, it does. I mean, I don't know how long this whole acquisition is going to take. Right. Um, but it's not like I, I, I really made like a name for myself for, for anybody in the company. And that's just speaking honestly. Like I, I, I collaborate with my team, my bosses, and a lot of assistants, but assistants aren't going to help me out. They think they're worried about their own jobs, and I'm seeing I'm seeing assistants leave the company every Friday. We get I mean three to four emails. It's like this long email, like just leaving the company because they're all just like I'm gonna go find another job. I don't want to like live in this limbo. And, and it's me. Because, I'm not even. And you're talking more about the acquisition, yeah. right? Because okay. Is that is I, it? I, I mean, know that's that, what you're asking. No, I, I don't know. I'm asking more. I'm not talking about the acquisition actually. I'm talking okay. more about just the state of like. I guess all of it. It's like you're at a company that is now being acquired by a bigger company. You're in a position that is somewhat um, floater-esque. Yeah, it's not essential. Exactly. exactly. Yeah, I'm at the bottom. I understand. Like I'm kind of at the bottom of the totem pole. I'm easy to cut. Like, and I'm prepared for that. But like, am I? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I, I tell myself I am. But like, so so what do you? So you what do keep you, your options you, open. So what do you think? Of it? Is it like every day waking up just like this could be the day? Like, does that? thought cross your mind or no 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 not really just that's good you just you just keep your head down and work you know business as usual that's all they say every every one day yeah i can't i can't control it you know like this is how the industry works you know so i mean if i do end up losing the job because the acquisition i was lucky enough to to have it for this amount of time right it's a good experience and I have been meeting people and something else will come up. Right. You know? And no, nobody's going to look at your resume and be like, are, is it, are you kidding me? Yeah, like, it's, a great, it's a great resume. Looking though. looking at uh, uh, like, uh, this position, you were at ICM for three months and didn't <laughs> get on a desk. Like, this is a joke. Yeah. <laughs> no, Dude, just, but who no, knows? Like, it end up, also, like, more desk positions will open up in CAA. So, who knows? Yes, that's true. I mean, it could actually end up being very beneficial. Yeah, could be. You got to think optimistically. Yes, you do. Yes, you do. Yes, you do. That's all about this industry. It is tough sometimes. Really tough. Yeah. But you just got it's all about the long run. Yeah. And you know where you want to be, which mm-hmm. is nice. I love LA. Um, I don't look like I belong here. Uh, <laughs> aesthetically. <laughs> aesthetically, but he did uh, wear tanning oil yesterday at the beach. Yeah. <laughs> did you? Uh, Liv, Liv referred to my skin as glowing yesterday, <laughs> and not in the good way, <laughs> the translucent way. Right, translucent way. Shout out, Liv. Shout out, Liv. That's Tyler's girlfriend. Yeah. Shout out, Liv. Um, I love LA. I, I love our friend group. Um, it, I wouldn't, you know, want to live anywhere else at this point. And it was so much easier to move here, like knowing that there's already like a. I had a good group of friends, and it's been growing since then. And I feel like. It's, People are just moving by the flock now. Mm-hmm. It's great. People want to move. People want to move. It's exciting. It I exciting. think it's exciting. I really, the concert scene, it's a cool scene to be a part of, I think, right now. Especially mm-hmm. just with, like, it's back. Yeah. Full it's honestly a little, it's a little overwhelming. Yeah. Like, every weekend, it's just like, I, it's an event I have to go to. I'm like, <laughs> I can't afford this lifestyle. <laughs> but you're doing it. <laughs> but I'm doing it. Welcome to America. <laughs> um, I don't have any more questions. You have any more questions? Nah, I think I think we got everything out of it. We squeezed all the juice out of the arm. Yeah, we did. Oh, you, you, you have any questions for us uh, before we uh, take your resume and take yeah. you off? What do you guys? What are your goals for the podcast? 
Like, what do you what do you hope for it? Because hmm. I, I had a great time. Did, this is great. Did and you? I like hearing myself through that phone. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, we've all set up. Well, uh, we changed the table set up uh, today yes. uh, to make it a little more comfortable. And yeah. I, I believe uh, I believe it worked See, out. I, th- I think this is working out great. And I think the natural conversation element is, is there. Now. Yes, that's all we want. We want... Um, you know, Tyler and I were so critical of ourselves. We listened back to these episodes. I, I, I don't know if people even care or, what, or whatever, but <laughs> we, 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 we put a lot of time into trying to be the best hosts that we can possibly be. We listen to feedback. We listen to other podcasts about podcasting. And <laughs> we're, go, we're going. We're going. Yeah. And, and I mean, it's so we're so targeted towards what we want. Like the whole point of this podcast was like it's what we would have wanted to hear when we were in college mm. and going That's a great into entertainment. Idea. So the more that we can, I think, just have like natural conversations. Like not only are we going to reach that demographic, but also it'll just be interesting, hopefully, for anybody who wants to listen. Yeah. And like I think anybody hopefully could hear your story about someone who wanted to go into risk management, switched over electronic, wants their whole life to revolve around music, and is currently at a company that is being acquired by a bigger company. <laughs> I think all that's interesting. Like despite whether you want to go into music or entertainment or not, I so I, I just hope people take something from that. Yeah. I think it's I think it's definitely a, a niche market that that people want to learn more about because like. Like I said, like there's there's not much opportunity, you know, to really get in the entertainment industry or really learn about like behind the scenes stuff or listen to kids who just started out talking about their experiences. So I think it's a it's a well a well thought um, idea, and I commend you guys for it, and I'm here for it. Mm-hmm. Steven, great idea, I, and I love. <laughs> I, I, I do I do hope soon not uh, not to uh, tarnish your you as a guest because I love talking to you, but that we can but get more people <laughs> get more people that are like assistant to this person and like you yeah. know that person. no i get it i'm part of, i'm part of the building block you're i right. get it you're, i'm here you're just, I'm here a, from the jump. You're just a, a lego piece that's fine. Uh, along the along the millions of bricks yeah that's cool maybe in a year i can do another interview with yeah, yeah. What? yeah. <laughs> i'll be back, I'll be on the back every week every other week <laughs> Guys, check, they're, check they're in every... again with evan steinberg how's he doing <laughs> Still, still floating. <laughs> Man, we, we still floating at ICM. The acquisition didn't go through yet. Every every thirty minutes, so every every the midpoint of every podcast will be like, "Hey, I cut to Evan. Evan, how are you?" <laughs> Colin, right? <laughs> this really was great. You had a good time. I had a great time. Thanks for coming. You're a great host. Everyone listening, they're a great host. Tyler offered me water. Stephen didn't. Uh, <laughs> I did. I said, "What are you doing with that water?" <laughs> Get out. <laughs> like, you can't turn for an hour. It's Go great. On. They have a great setup, and I feel very comfortable here. Good. Well, thank you. Leave a review. Why don't you? Five out of five. Oh, that's so nice. Probably the best podcast I've ever been on. <laughs> 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 All right. Well, thank you for coming on. Thank you. Hey, for you're killing me. it. Good for you. We're happy to have you know been able to have this conversation. So I yes. appreciate you guys. I love you guys. This is great. Let's say thank it. you for having me on. I guess there are thank yous. Uh, well, we're the mailroom. You know, we uh, interview aspiring entertainment industry professionals. Um, thanks to Ross, for my brother, for producing. Shout out, Ross. And shout out, Evan Steinberg. Uh, you can see him live at... Uh, NKC's Garage. The fil- at the Fillmore. <laughs> yeah, some, <laughs> someday. You'll see me. You'll see me around. You'll see me around. You'll see me around. And if you like house music, you, you know who I am. Yeah, if you like house music, you know who he is. <laughs> you know who I am. All right, well, thank you, everybody. Thank you, Evan. Uh, that's, let's, it. that's it. See you. We're Happy the mailroom. Bye.